Hello, everybody. This is Tom Holtz call, uh, speaking, calling, right? This is Tom Holtz speaking uh, for uh, the ASPA, the American Society of Public Administration, South Florida podcast. Uh, and uh, we hope you are all well this month. We have a brand new episode coming up and we have a great uh, we have a great uh, guest co-hostess, uh, or we should say a special guest star. But before that, we're going to talk. Uh, we've got somebody new on uh, uh, on here. Uh, he's old to us, but he's new to the podcast and he is a member of the board. Bill Solomon is here with us today for the first time. Say hi, Bill. Hello. hello, and hopefully Bill will have more to say than hello. Uh, Bill, is an, Bill is an experienced attorney, uh, God help us, and, uh, but Bill is not going to lecture us on uh, Bly versus Birmingham Waterworks, Garrett versus Daly, and all those marvelous tort cases. Um, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have any big books in front of us, but he is here to provide his input as to the subject today, and our special guest Today is Dr. Flora Lawson. Dr. Lawson comes to us with some very, very uh, great credentials, which I'm pulling up right now. She is, well, first of all, she is the president. She is, she comes to us with over 25 years of experience supporting the federal government, private industry, and nonprofits. Uh, Dr. Lawson got her bachelor's degree from Virginia Union University, her MBA from Webster University, and her PhD in management, human resources, I believe, management, human resources from Walden University. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to talk, she has her own company. She's the president of Flexilence. Uh, she serves, and, and, uh, and Flora and I were laughing at that because flexilence actually sounds like a laxative. Uh, uh, and Bill, of course, <laughs> Bill's mouth is open. You can't see that here, people. Uh, and now, but good that he's sitting down. We didn't want to give him a coronary. Uh, Flora, how in heaven's name did you ever come across that name, flexilence? Well, Tom, thank you for the invite and allowing me to be here with you today. Sure. Flexilence came about because I work for the federal government, and for so long, the federal government wouldn't, it was just not flexible. And we, my organization tried to find ways to improve the flexibilities and share with them best practices amongst the the community as to how change could come about. So slow, the federal government is very slow to change. And what Flex Excellence did was show them how they could be flexible. So I guess you can say we are somewhat of a laxative simply because we're helping things to move <laughs> along in the government. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> well, well, we're certainly glad you're helping us move along with the podcast uh, uh, today, Flora. And it's really, really nice to have you there. Uh Bill, I have my I have my script in front of me. Has uh, has uh, has Mr. Lopez come back on yet? No. He has not. Well, he will come back on. Hopefully, he'll come back on for a few minutes. Our president of the board uh, is running hither and thither with his job, but he is definitely but he is hopefully going to come on to say a few words. In the meantime, Flora, once again, welcome, uh, welcome here with us, and, and I do appreciate the time uh, that you're spending with us. Um, I. I myself am looking for a federal job myself, but it's interesting before I get into that, 
Bill was telling us about his really his first experience as a college student working for the feds. Bill, why don't you tell us about that? Um, I had the opportunity to serve in an internship with the U.S. Department of Agriculture while I was an undergrad with a, a degree I was working on in zoology. So I had a biology background and they liked that. So I was hired and ended up getting to work at Miami International Airport, boarding aircraft coming from foreign countries, removing contraband materials. Um, I got a walkie-talkie and I got a uniform and I usually was standing next to a U.S. Customs agent with a German Shepherd. <laughs> I also got to work um, inside the airport customs area with a Beagle and they also had an area where they fumigated plants coming in from foreign countries, and I got to work there also. So it was a great experience, did it for two years, and that really helped me um, move forward in going into the public service, which I ultimately did and worked for Miami-Dade County Parks for 37 years before retiring. Um, I'm also an attorney, so I, I've got a, uh, I'll tell you now, I've, I've got my bachelor's in zoology a master's in public administration and a master's of science in public health and a JD licensed to practice in the state of Florida. So although I'm retired, I, I'm involved in boards, um, Boy Scouts or Scouts as it's called now. It's a very big um, thing with you, yeah. Yeah, it is. I've got 37 going to summer camp. So it is important. Yeah. It's a community. Everything is based on community and public service that I've done. And I think it's really important. So going back, though, to the internship, I, I guess I'll go a little further with it because I think it's important. What I've always mm -hmm. told my students um, is if you can't get an internship, find a way to volunteer in the organization that you want to or you think you want to work for. Find out more about it. Have them find out that you're really a great catch. Um, and if you do apply, you're one that would get at least an interview. So I think that's seriously important. And I've said that in every class I've ever taught uh, over many years. And I'm a firm believer in it because it does work. I've hired some of those people. I think it's a great, it does. yeah, I, I, I think it's a great, uh, it was a great entree for you. And uh, I, I, you know, I'd love to get back into the uh, feds now uh, working online. Uh, you know, COVID of course has changed the world in uh in terms in terms of that and i think when it comes to hr uh there's nothing more dynamic than the federal system which flora and i are going to discuss today uh in terms of in terms of finding the right job for the right but, but for the right person but it's not easy uh to get into federal service not at all uh statistics have it's shown with that us uh, Izzy has come back. Thank you very yes. much for letting me know, Bill. Izzy, uh, I want to introduce Isidora Lopez to everybody, gentlemen, president of the board. Izzy, how are you today? I'm doing all right. You know, just juggling a gazillion things at once. Oh, absolutely. And I'm very glad you're able to spend a few minutes. We have just introduced uh, Dr. Flora Lawson. And uh, Izzy, would you like to say, and Izzy, by the way, is dressed to the nines today. I don't recognize him. Uh, but... Uh, but he's uh, no. I mean, no. This man is a personification of uh, of public sector, and uh, it's it's really great to have us. Izzy, do you have anything you want to say to us? Well, first and foremost, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Bill. 
it's an honor, Dr. Lawson, to have you here with us. Uh, you know, I do try to clean up from time to time here, Tom, and uh, you succeed. This, this this week's no different than the prior, um, but we are we are humbled and honored to have you here today as part of this podcast. Tom has been working on these podcasts now. I want to say for a little bit over six months. Yeah. Going all the way back to December. That's right. And uh, they mm-hmm. have been quite a success. We are we are trying to develop the interest group uh, in the public sector through this venue. So you are in great hands. I am looking forward to listening to your contribution. And for all of those out there listening to us, please visit us at aspasouthflorida.org. Org, I want to say, right, Bill? Am I good on the email there? Aspasoftflorida.org. Um, and South please, FLA. That's what it is. You're right. South FLA. Um, please join us. Uh, we're always looking for new uh, folks to come and join our, our mission and, and be contributors to public service. And, and we're very happy to have you, okay? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Izzy, for... Uh, Likewise. Absolutely. It was really great seeing you today. Likewise. Flora, so we're going to get back now to us. Uh, so, okay. it, 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 so it, you know, obviously, uh, now, and Flora is a, is a chief of personnel uh, somewhere in the federal system. And so she has had an extreme amount of experience in terms of recruitment and as well as retention, and she's done an excellent job in both. Uh, so that me so that being said, um, you you helped me tremendously because when I first started looking, I was like, why is why isn't my application moving forward? And I've got all this state and local experience in human resources, and uh, I have I have, a, I have a little federal experience, but it's more it's most of it is state and federal. Of course, I have my academic background, uh, but it wasn't. So Flora suggested some stuff which we're going to talk about. Um, so, Flora, why is learning the federal hiring process important to applicants? What's your take on that? Tom, it is, it is extremely important because, as you mentioned, it's, the federal government is very complex, and it can be difficult to navigate if you are new to the system. And when I say new to the system, understanding where to go, understanding what things mean because it's not plain language for the hiring process. So there are different ways in which we communicate and it's always good to understand how those HR specialists, HR specialists being the human resource specialists, understand how they're going to process your application and what your resume says about you for the job that you're applying to. So case in point, job series in the federal government, it's always best to go to opm.gov to understand the different job series before you start applying to positions because you want to understand what those job series mean and the skill sets required for for you to apply. So as we continue our conversation, we'll dive deeper into that conversation, but it's really a complex system to understand, but once you understand it, your results will show. I agree with you as OPM for uh, the uninitiated is the Office of Personnel Management, which is the big super agency. Uh, although, obvi- although every agency has their human resources teams 
and uh, mm-hmm. and, and so we're and that follow the OPM rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. So we're so we're going to go so we're going to go back into that. But of course, uh, and, and as you also, as you and I were also talking, for hiring a wrong person can be costly and counterproductive. So they're looking to hire the right person, uh, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that's extremely important. So let's get down to the nuts and bolts. What's federal hiring? Talk about the code of federal federal regulations and try to try to, uh, in, in in a thousand words or less, try and talk to me in plain English so I can know what, so you can educate me on that. Plain and simple, five Code of Federal Regulations, we call it CFR, Part 250, is the governing body. It is the official authority for all federal agencies' personnel management systems. So it tells us how we're going to recruit, retain, and sustain our employees. So that is everything. It it outlines agencies' roles and responsibilities, the systems that we use for human capital. And also, too, it it highlights how we review and provide those stats back to OPM so that we can measure our systems and accountability and for us to remain compliant in our reporting. And that's and that's very important. Uh, there's a big emphasis in federal system on compliance, even more so that I mean, there's a certain amount of compliance in New York City and state where I work. Uh, but mm-hmm. but the feds certainly take the cake on that. And remember, also that state and local agencies essentially take their cue from the federal system. They modify it depending upon their particular needs, uh, and sometimes a little easier, sometimes a little hard. But the feds are the granddaddy of all of this. So that's important to know. So let's talk about what legal authorities federal agencies have to recruit and hire. Uh, and, and you'll excuse and you'll excuse that. Uh, I will hold on. Uh, a- after that, after that wonderful pause, uh, and uh, we apologize <laughs> for we apologize for Murphy's break. Law, but I was trying to take care of. A, <laughs> of a telephone call that was just coming in. Um, let's get back to this. What legal authorities do federal agencies have to recruit and hire? And here's where it gets a little muddy, simply because different agencies are subject to recruit, hire, and retain employees under different legal authorities. So case in point, Title V is really for competitive service. It's managed under merit systems principles. And it is also, like I said, it's for the competitive service. And then you have Title 10, which is related to accepted service. And so all these different titles are really referencing different agencies. Title 12 is referencing uh, Department of uh, Commerce where it deals with banking and the, the governing bodies of the banking system and how the banks operate. And then you have Title 50, which is for uh, wartime and also national defense. And another one is Title 42, which outlines accepted service for scientific and professional. And that's where you get those public service individuals that are dealing with uh, perhaps maybe the CDC, where they're doing research consultants and serving in that type of position. And also, too, you have non-competitive hiring where 
it's veterans preference. I know Mr. Solomon talked about being an internship. You also have Pathways Program, which is the internship designed to get students and recent graduates into positions, as well as people with disabilities, which is Schedule A. Okay, so we have Title V, which is the main then, um, the main uh, authority for hiring. We have, uh, and we also have Title Thirty Eight, I believe, which is for physicians and yes. nurses. Those are for yes, physicians and, and nurses. Physicians and nurses, and which is mainly used at the VA only. Right, and that and why worked mm -hmm. the VA for, for a brief period of time, and that's what did that. And we covered Title mm -hmm. Fifty again, and what is Title Fifty? So Title 50 is, you can pretty much say your um, national defense, perhaps uh, your military, and also some of those special agencies have that. And what about Title 10 again? Title 10 is accepted service. So mm -hmm. say, for instance, you Title 50 deals with uh, wartime and national defense, but Title 10 is also accepted service for perhaps those agencies that are in uh, the intelligence community. I got you. And, like, title, and title 12, did we cover title 12? Yes, title 12 is for banking and the, the banking industry and how the banks operate. Excellent. Okay, mm -hmm. let's talk then about, you know, the difference between competitive appointments and non-competitive appointments, which everybody is trying to understand that has not been involved in this already. Well, help us to understand mm -hmm. that. Yes, and it's, it's very simple. Competitive service is where individuals have to compete through a structured process in order to be selected for a position. The non-competitive hiring process relates back to those special hiring authorities that I just spoke about, veterans preference, schedule A, people with disabilities, and also those that may be seeking an opportunity in which they held a previous grade level where they can apply for a non-competitive position. So it, it is what the government agency actually has a funded position with a classified position description and the candidates meet those qualifications is what is called a competitive, non-competitive status. Okay. And you know, it's interesting because I, you know, and Bill, this may be of interest to you, you know, so Schedule A, which is the disabilities, um, you have to <clears throat> self-identify. Uh, in terms of in terms of hiring, and there's a particular me a particular method that you have to get a letter for uh, a specific with sp a specific language letter uh, from a physician uh, or a vocational rehab uh, agency in the state to do that. But the interesting thing is now the ADA, the uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act amendments do not cover if you self-identify. I don't know if you're aware of this, Floyd, but I just found that out the other day doing some research, and I was absolutely stunned. If you self-identify, you're not covered under the amendments. And and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I had no idea. I didn't either. I didn't either. Um, and it's, uh, and I'll send you the literature. It's in a, it's in a 19, it's in a brand new 2021 article. Uh, yeah. By an author who's uh, essentially trying to deal with the, uh, uh, oh, there's there's also something in 2019 by by an author by the name of Cantor, uh, who is uh, this is completely off the topic. She's going for a United Nations uh, declaration. She would like that to get into the law regarding special hiring, but uh, but but it's an interesting but it's an interesting but notwithstanding 
competitive, uh, non-competitive appointments have their uh, a very, very important uh, role. And the bottom line is to get people with disabilities in who can perform the job. That's very, very important under the ADA, that they have to be able to uh, perform the basic uh, job requirements. But if they can, it's a great way of getting them into federal service because it doesn't take as long uh, if they decide to go to Schedule A to hire somebody. On the average, uh, it takes around 106 days now to hire somebody through the regular route. That's what the research has determined as of uh, 2015 or 2016. I have no idea what's going on now. That was pretty, that was pretty long. Uh, but, um, we, you know, veterans are very, very important uh, for the feds, uh, you know, because the feds have always considered the fact that the tran in transitioning from, uh, from the armed services to civilian life, it's not an easy thing. So feds, so the federal service serves as a, as a, as a, good, uh, as a good buffer uh, in terms of that. Can you explain to us what veterans preference is all about? Sure, but before I do that, Tom, I wanted to address your your comment because I find that very interesting about the Schedule A because mm -hmm. government agencies are required to hire individuals who are people with disabilities as well as, and that doesn't include the veterans who may have a disability, but they are required to have at least every year 2% of their hired employees as people with disabilities and those agencies get money from it. So if people don't self-identify those agencies lose money because they can't support programs, mm -hmm. ADA programs, they can't give you, you know, a, a headrest or, an, or, or a wrist band for your desk to assist with carpal tunnel or, or a specific chair. So for people to self-identify, it's, it's crucial to those federal agencies because it means money for their funding for their programs. Well, well and, and so as far as the, federal, the feds are concerned, that's, that's the reason mm -hmm. why. But the, the article I was, thought, was seeing essentially said that even though that's true for the feds, it's still not covered by the ADA amendment. So uh, hypothetically, we're talking about private industry of an employer. Mm -hmm. uh, if the person mm. identifies the employer for some, for some reason, decides I don't want to hire this person because I don't like them. Uh, and this doesn't happen with the feds, but it can happen in private sector. Yeah. And, and, gotcha. and, then, and then the employee isn't protected by that. And by the way, it's interesting that you mentioned 2% for the feds, because according to the Vocational Rehab Act of 1973, and that was the law based on which the ADA was started, you actually have to have 7% of the workforce as a disabled mm -hmm. company. And uh, it's, uh, I think it's called a utilization curve or utilization unit or, or some, some language mm -hmm. like that. So you're going to see on applications in general nowadays that they require that 7% of their workforce be disabled. And that comes from the VRA of, 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 mm -hmm. of 1973. But, but whatever, whatever it is, the feds take very, very good, great pains to uh to to go with non-competitive um now and the distinction is is that there are also something called selective placement coordinators that try to help these people but they try to help these people where where you don't have a position posted once the position is posted it becomes competitive and correct me if i'm wrong so you know because you know more about this 
Well, it, 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 it really depends because you can still post a position and, and have veterans to apply. As a matter of fact, we encourage veterans yes, to apply. Yes, yes. And that's where veterans preference comes into play. Okay. It's not a guarantee that they're going to get the job, but we, de- we definitely want veterans to apply because we want to honor those who have uh, sacrificed their freedom to be able to give us the freedoms that we have. So it's almost like a way of giving back to them. And non-competitive, non-competitively, what we'll do is we'll post two positions at the same time. We'll post an internal position and we'll post an external position, which means for the external position, all of the veterans rise to the top. And veterans' preference, in order for a veteran to meet veterans' preference, they must have had an honorable discharge. It uh, It is really for military retirees in the ranks of major lieutenant colonel, commander, or higher. They're ineligible unless they have a service-connected dis- uh, disability. So they have... For those that are in those higher ranks, it's really geared toward those that are uh, major uh, captains and below. And and like I said, those that are in those higher ranks would need to have that services service connected disability. If I can get it out. Right. <laughs> and what it is is that it's a, it's an additional points added to the assessment in which they do. They either get five points or 10 points, which means their assessment can go from being 100 points to 100 and up to 110 yeah. points. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's really giving them that added bonus of having additional score for the self-assessment that they do. And that's very important. And the self-assessment yeah. is, yeah, go ahead. yeah it's, it's the ranking of how you see your skill sets for the position in which you're applying to. And and, that, and and that's important. In my discussion before, by the way, I was talking about Schedule A disability, and, and I know we had started to talk about that, so I wanted to clarify that when I was talking about uh, the, 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 the Schedule A self-identification. VETS is a, is a totally mm-hmm. different, totally different ballgame. Um, the self-assessment that, we, that you were referring to is something when you when you apply for federal jobs, and that is essentially right. a series of multiple choice questions where you're where you where you're asked to either uh, demonstrate the highest level of experience you have in a certain criteria, or they'll they'll say, well, how many of these do you have? And that sounds to me like the successor of what they used to do, which are the KSAs, the Knowledge, Skills, and Abilities, and they decided to mm-hmm. drop that later on, I believe, in place of that. Do you remember the KSAs? And the- yes, and, and, and that's exactly what it is. It's really a job analysis of how your skill sets, education, and experience relate to that position. Exactly. And you yourself get to identify your own skill levels, and it creates a score that is used to determine where you fall in the review of your in the review of your application. For a particular position. So it's obviously very important that you have to tell the truth when you fill these out. But at the same Absolutely. Time- it is it is critical. It is critical because if not, you could that's that's where we make the wrong hires. It's it's where we could hire someone who claims to have been an expert in a position who truly has no skill set doing that particular job and we've got to start back at, at ground zero. So it's critical for people to answer those assessment questions as honestly as possible. It helps the HR specialist as well as it helps uh, the applicant 
as well. And, and, and it's, a, it's a question of, as they say in my native Brooklyn, you pay your money and you take your chances because you have to tell the truth. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you're telling the truth can knock you out if you don't have that particular experience. Uh, but the bottom line is on balance that you are much better mm-hmm. off because many of these positions, some of them do not have clearances, but a number of these positions do of various levels. And uh, can you talk to us about some of those clearances that you have to go through secret uh, other top, what I, I always want to know what other. Sure. <laughs> other could be a public trust. It, it could just simply mean that they just want to make sure your name is not in a database where uh, there's any potential harm that you would do to the federal government. So the other could be whether, you know, whether you're going for a top secret clearance, which is the highest possible clearance where you are working in a classified environment. Uh, And nine times out of 10, those are positions that are dealing with national security, or it could be a secret position where you're going to have access to databases and, uh, personally identifiable information that should not be released. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're working in a classified environment. It just means that you have access to information that we want to make sure it's going to remain protected. And then you have the public trust, which is just a matter of making sure that you are someone of good character and that you are not going to try to defraud the government in any type of way. That, uh, thank you for uh, you know, thank you for elucidating that. And uh, and we were of course uh, getting back to the veterans preference points. So we have five prep four point preference and ten point pre- preference. Can mm-hmm. you can you talk to us about what uh, what that particular uh, the qualifications for that? Yeah. So so there's actually several types of point preferences. So you have a CP actor that is a ten point compensatory preference based on service disconnected disability. And what that means is that it's a disabled veteran who has 30% of more disability. And then you have what's called a CP, which is again, it's 10 points based on their service uh, service connected disability, but that person may have 10% or less than 30% disability connected. So based upon how the the Veterans Administration have rated them according to their disability, those are the two distinctions in those. And this really all plays a a, a huge part when an HR specialist is looking at that person's uh, qualifications as a veteran. And then you have what's also called an XP, which is another 10 point, but it's granted to the recipients of Purple Heart a person with a non-compensable service-connected disability, less than 10%, or the widow or widower or mother of a deceased veteran or spouse or the mother mother of a disabled veteran. And then you have a a TP, which is a five-point veteran who served in a war or a campaign or an expedition during designated periods such as the Gulf War. And then you have an NV, which is a non-veteran. And those are the different veteran categories that you will see in HR as they go throughout doing their mm-hmm. veterans preference adjudication. When, when you talk of 30% uh, or 10%, how, what, does that depend upon the type of disability they have? How do they assign a particular number, whether it's 10% or 20% or whatever? So 
now that's that's outside of HR. That is done through the Veterans Administration. So ah, the okay. veteran is is diagnosed based upon whatever service connected disability gotcha. he or she and may have. That is all rated through the Veterans Administration, and they're given a letter, and it breaks down each of their disability and the points that are assigned to it, and they uh, at the end is given a score. Very interesting. A percentage. Part of my career in, involved working with New York State Disability Determinations back in the day, and that was uh, through Social Security Disability. They contracted out to the states. But we mm-hmm. didn't go into percentages. We went into medical vocational allowances based on a particular set of rules. But this here is actually quantifying it, which I think is, which I think is interesting. So, so, moving, so moving on. Oh, and there's also the VEOA. The Veterans Employment Opportunities Act of 98. Can you describe to us what that's about? So what that is, is that that is a veteran's preference eligible. Uh, and it's given to a veteran who was released shortly after completing three year a three-year tour. And that person must provide their DD-214. It's, uh, the DD-214 is their discharge record. And also, too, that person would have a disability rating from the VA. And it's really geared for those positions that are GS-12 and higher, because what it is is that it allows that person to work under that VEOA appointment. And then after two years, they're converted into a permanent position. So they start out in a two-year appointment as career conditional, and then they transfer over into a permanent position. And we should specify for the audience at large that GS stands for general schedule. And uh, yeah. this is a salary range, uh, which, is a, which is assigned to a numerical equivalent. And these salary ranges are dependent upon where you live. There's locality pay that you can get in addition to the basic GS schedule. So somebody living in a highly urban area, such as New York, is going to get more money than somebody living in Oshkosh. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and again, it depends on where you live. And that's very especially important in terms of these new uh, or newer telecommuting positions or virtual positions. Um, tell us about these. Tell us, and of course, COVID really, really got that to the fore. Because prior to COVID, uh, although uh, telecommuting positions or virtual positions or remote positions, all the language is different depending on the agency. I was really established in 2010 with President Obama, uh, but it wasn't really adhered to because there was a trust issue uh, with many employees. It's still a trust issue. <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's what we're going to talk. Well, uh, now we're getting all the secrets. <laughs> now we're getting all the secrets coming out. This is true confessions. But, uh, and by the way, Bill, we don't want you falling asleep. Do you have any comments uh, uh, in terms of this from a legal standpoint? Let's put it this way. You, I would assume, take an oath when you get a job with the federal government? Absolutely. You certainly do. And, and I know you do, because I did. I remember. And you basically have to adhere to the law. And even if you're working remotely, you're not supposed to be lying about your time. Correct. You're supposed to be doing the job that you've been hired for. So that's that you think that's common sense, but not always. Um, when we get mm-hmm. into the criminal side, which we don't do criminal law, we we try to stick with wills and trust because my clients don't mm-hmm. talk back. Um, <laughs> you know, but 
but at the at the same point, it's it's very important, you know. And I I would like to hear what uh, Dr. Lawson has to say about how to get the job. I mean, that's really what it's all about. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were times where I applied and you know I was overqualified, yeah. let alone. So I'd like to hear or, more about that. Well, we're get well, we're yeah. going to get to that. Why don't you why why don't we address this now so that well, Bill doesn't leave the room? Yeah. Oh, let's... Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and so here's what we can say to that. How do you get the job? It is important for you to apply to positions daily because new positions are posted daily. But even before you do that, again, I can't encourage your listeners enough to go to opm.gov to see the job series. If you're looking for something more administrative, most of those positions are going to be a 301. And a 301, everything relates to a number. So the job series relates to a a number. The 301 is like a catch-all. It's the administrative positions. It's those program management positions. And human resources is a 201. But what you want to do, you want to go there, you want to see how they categorize the positions and understand the the basic skills that goes with it and if there's any educational requirements because you could be looking for a job that that requires an education such as a contract specialist if you're an attorney you would be great because you would meet that requirement you would have your jda i mean excuse me your jd to cover you in in that aspect Mm -hmm. but uh, in order to apply most of the positions are posted on usajobs.gov however those special organizations like CIA, uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the BIA, NSA, those agencies um, require you to go directly to their website to apply, simply because they go through a different type of hiring process. We talked about the clearances. They have a clearance in, in which you must meet and not only meet, but maintain all throughout the time that you work there. As you look at positions on USA Jobs, the first thing I really want you to look at is who should apply, because there is where you're going to see whether it's a competitive position, if it's accepting non-competitive appointments, if it uh, has people with disabilities that they're looking for, veterans, as well as uh, pathways. So next, you would have your area of consideration. It's, It's going to capitalize on where the position is located, but also to the local commuting area for any of those positions. Because there are some that that will require or at least will have some restrictions as to who can apply for those positions. Also, too, the salary. You want to make sure you're applying for a position in which you are okay with the salary because most government agencies will offer you the salary at the step one. So the beginning pay period, excuse me, the beginning salary range is at step one. So make sure that you're okay with that. And if you're not, justify why you should have what's called an advance and hire if you were selected for the position. Well, and that's where you can negotiate for for more money once you're selected. Well, that's very and important. That's I tell people, yeah. And no, I was just going to say the, the key thing to look at on any job posting when you get ready to apply is to look at the specialized experience statement. That is how you're going to get on the certificate into the hiring official, because that is what's going, that is what the human resource specialist is going to use to qualify you for the position. It is 
the defining moment as to whether you meet the qualifications. Regardless of what your score is, if you don't meet that specialized experience statement, you will never move forward in that hiring process. And I like to tell people every day you need to be applying for at least five jobs, simply because there's so many jobs out there that you never know which one is going to be the one that moves you further in getting to the hiring official, which is why you need to apply to five, at least five every day. The, the next thing I would tell you to look at is the com- conditions of employment, because that's going to tell you your requirements as an employee, which is critical because it may require you to do a drug test. It may require you to um, provide certain documents, such as your DD-214, if you're a veteran, or if you're a federal government employee, it's going to require you to provide your SF-50, which is uh, outlining your information as a federal employee. And it helps HR to validate that you meet the, the standards for the position. And also, too, your resume. Some people don't even upload their resume or the transcripts. The position could call for you to have, have you have you to submit your transcripts. So those are really important things to really understand on the position. It's a very as you apply. Yeah. It's a very good. You raise a couple of you raise a number of excellent points. And first of all, we should explain that the salary, uh, the the steps of the salary. There are ten steps to a particular grade, and uh, and you and if you go for step one, you will get a yearly raise to step. To step three, is it, or is it step four? Uh, yes, one one to three, you get a step increase every year if your performance is satisfactory. Let me right. let's say that <laughs> that that comes before anything. That's, yes, <laughs> it just doesn't come automatically. Uh, and then four, five, and six, you get a step increase every two, two years, years if your performance is satisfactory. And then step seven and eight and nine, you get a step increase every. Three years, and at the step ten is where you cap out. So the best right. thing that you can do at step ten is just get a performance bonus award, or um, or or something of that nature. Or a cola, uh, of course, a living increase, which comes. Yeah, and you would get the cola every year. Which exactly, if, mm-hmm. if a cola is awarded, mm-hmm. uh, you know that comes into play. But but uh, but I think in terms of in terms of getting a job, I think you raise a very good point in terms of education, because the. The the primary entry level, as I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the, if you have a if you if you basically have the GS seven uh, is for if you have a year of graduate education. There's also something called superior achievement if you have a bachelor's degree, which is uh, over three a uh, three GPA in a, in a certain in a certain level of courses. Um, the GS nine is for a master's degree. And you usually see, from what I've seen on these applications, you usually have a choice as to whether the state that you have uh, the education as a qualifying factor for either the GS7 or a GS9 or a year of specialized experience or more. Uh, but it's definitely got to be a year of specialized experience in the job. And what It has I, to be a year. And what, That's correct. And what I found mm-hmm. is that, to me, even though I may have the specialized experience that they want, 
to me, it's more advantageous to, to qualify for it on the basis of the education. And of course, you have to put in the transcripts to substantiate that. And you can load mm-hmm. them up on USA Jobs. But once they see that, then they then if you've got a master's degree, for instance, for a nine, then they've got to say you're tentatively eligible. Then, of course, other things come into factor is they'll look at your resume and they'll look at your self-assessment and they'll decide whether you have. And, and that's where you have a little wiggle room. Now, this is what I didn't know coming into this in terms of, and you helped me out on that, by talking about a process called the reconsideration process. If you do not go through the personnel specialist gatekeeper, which means that they Mm -hmm. look at those resumes and they qualify the resume from a classification standpoint to determine whether you you meet the requirements to move your resume forward to the hiring manager so that's what you got to really get you got to really get over that hill so to speak and this reconsideration process and there is one agency actually which calls it a dispute i do not like that okay. terminology i like reconsideration a lot better because it's uh, uh because it's non-pejorative it's not emotionally loaded and uh it's um you know, it could be euphemistic, but it is, you really are, it is a reconsideration. It's supposed to be objective. It's not like you're fighting them with, with knives. Right. And guns. Um, tell us about this reconsideration process and how you can, how you can fight for getting, getting your resume over the hurdle. Well, let me just say this. What we do in HR when it comes to reviewing resumes and applications, it's all subjective which is why the reconsideration process exists. We look at so many different applicants and their resumes, we're bound to miss someone. So it's never a bad thing to ask for a reconsideration. As a matter of fact, it should be encouraged because it's an opportunity for you, the applicant, to really position yourself to be, to, to fight for yourself. And if you don't, no one else will. But It's a way for the applicant to present why they feel that their resume was qualified for the position. So what you want to do, you want to reach out to the HR specialist at the time, and this is all critical, at the time in which you are first notified that you do not meet the eligibility requirements for the position. They should provide you a code as to whether or not, as to why you were not um, qualified for the position. It it could be based on education. It could be because you did not meet the specialized experience statement. So if if they say that, then what you need to do is go back through your resume and highlight all of the efforts, uh, all of the experience in your resume that highlights your specialized, your skill set for that particular position. And you can do it by highlighting it and outlining it, whatever, but it has to be the same resume that you use to apply for the position. You send that notification back to the HR specialist. And what typically happens in most agencies, the reconsideration process consists of two additional HR specialists looking at your resume all over again. And it means that one will be a lead and the other one will be a specialist in that particular skill set, it would be a specialist with the skill sets designed for that particular business unit or, or have that experience knowing exactly what the hiring official is looking for. So those will be two knowledgeable individuals 
based upon the position grade and series based upon that business unit. So they will definitely have some knowledge as to what they're what the hiring official is looking for. If you do that nine times out of 10, you will be reconsidered for the position. But again, it's you presenting yourself to the HR specialist all over again. And again, you're highlighting clearly how your experience relates to that position. It's, it's, an, excellent, it's an excellent answer for, and, and I have to tell you from my own particular experience, uh, one of the first times I used that after you told me about it, was for a training onboarding position that I had been denied for. And I asked for a reconsideration. Now, the first thing that some of these, some of them do, what you're talking about in terms of the two people, one being a lead and the other being a specialist, that's a perfect world answer, it appears. Because what some of them will do is they'll just, first of all, you could have somebody taking customer service calls. Uh, depending upon the agency. And they'll just shunt it back to the same person who denied you. And that person will just give the rationale for the denial. And they hope that you'll go away. Now, if you, it's when you don't go away and you say, well, wait a minute. I, want, I would like to have this reconsidered either by uh, the method that you've described. Another way I've found is that they just give it to their boss. They give it to the lead and they let the lead look at it. And let this, mm-hmm. and then that, that's what happened in that particular case. The lead looked at it. She reversed the decision, and I was, and the resume went to the hiring manager. And guess what? I got a call from that hiring manager. They wanted me to come down for an interview, but the, this hiring manager was smart because I would have had to move out of state for it, which I wasn't able to do. And so I had to refuse the position based on that. Uh, fact that, but the bottom line is, is that the reconsideration process, when done the right way, works. And uh, I and and I've seen. I mean, I, I I can't begin to tell you what what I've seen when they're they're. It's it's now. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I because I have a little cynical view of looking at this thing, uh, but it almost looked as if. Uh, they because, probably because of the, as you've explained, there are so many people that they look at that it's just a way of passing the buck back and saying, well, maybe this person will go away if we tell them that we don't think they're qualified, not realizing that they're aware of the, that they're aware of the rules. And if you, and if you, and if you put them, it put, make them aware of the rules in a nice way, then they will have to, then they will have to go through it. Also, Schedule A, I think, is, is another type of advantage because you can always make the argument that if they're giving you a hard time with a reconsideration, Schedule A should, now nobody should be treated like that, but especially Schedule A should not be treated like that. Schedule A should be given every opportunity, uh, you know, in, in order, in, in terms of the fact that this is a, a subpopulation that the feds are looking for. Um, so, so I, so I mean, I, I, and I've seen mistakes uh, where they're mm-hmm. actually making mistakes saying one of them just the other day says uh, they qualified me for a seven for an HR specialist. They did not qualify me for a nine. And I, and I said, I want a reconsideration. Why aren't you requiring? And I, and I had to call them up and they said, uh, well, because you don't have enough experience, specialized experience for a five. And I said, well, if I don't have enough specialized experience, I know that if I don't have enough specialized experience for a five, how did I get to seven? Well, they're trying to shake their head. They're shaking their heads over that one right now. 
But this is the kind of thing that I that, that doesn't happen that often, to be fair. But this is the kind of thing that you can find. Why? Because they perhaps they've confused, and this is my theory, perhaps they've confused your application with someone else. Because you got to put yourself mm-hmm. in their shoes. You got to put, you know, you have to follow that Hillel's golden rule thing, do what you would have to do, and put yourself in their shoes. And of course, I had the experience of qualifying resumes on a mm-hmm. federal and on the city and and so i know what happens there i i've taken special pains not to do that but i know what happens there so i, I can't stress enough from my own personal experience uh about this about two things the reconsideration process and also if you have the education that is probably going to get you and you have to have, you have to put in your transcripts sometimes also if you have awards and even if they don't ask for it uh, like I have an award that has nothing to do with my background, but it's a federal award. Uh, and mm-hmm. I put that in. I put that in because I'm saying, well, maybe somebody will look at that. And, you know, and they'll, and they'll you know, now that's not supposed to influence, but but it's still an award. Some some of these applications actually ask you for any award that you've gotten in the past three years. And I've seen that as yep. well. I've seen that as mm-hmm. well. So and it depends on the agency. So, mm-hmm. I mean, would you agree? I can't, uh, you know, the reconsideration plus the education. I think if you have that education, it's preferable to saying that you have a year to specialize. If you get an interview, then that's a different story. And then you have to go into mm-hmm. what, what quals. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. It, you should always highlight your education, but it's the experience what is what is going to get you beyond because many people can have a master's degree, but do you have related experience, which will just put you a little bit above everyone else who has only that master's degree. Some so job, it's yeah. great that you have the master's, but once you can highlight your experience with it, that's, that's a win-win for whoever's hiring in that now, position. Now on higher now, of course, people who have their bachelor's, you know, that would be, but for people who don't have their bachelor's, and that, that's also something, there are the lower mm-hmm. grades and or like GS5. What are those, what do those grades uh, specifically entail for somebody that doesn't have a bachelor's degree that's going to college that would like to get a federal job while they're working, maybe while yeah. going to school at night? Yeah, I, the the GS5 is really a great developmental starting point for someone who's first coming into the federal government. It's a great place to start. You can qualify based on education, uh, superior academic achievement, which, like you said, is at 3.0 or better. And again, those are the that entry-level positions in which many government agencies are looking for. The thing is, many Students coming out of college now are not interested in making $40,000 working for the federal government. Mm -hmm. They are looking for ways to be entrepreneurs and to get a promotion the second day at work. So it's it's almost um, discouraging because the, the federal government is going through, or at least is talking about some overhaul. The government accountability office is looking at ways to overhaul the hiring system because it's so outdated and those are one of the things that we're looking at you know does the grades and the salary match what is going on in the global economy today you know how can the federal government sustain itself but i would tell anyone it's a great opportunity to work for the federal government 
at least to gain that level of experience because you can always go somewhere else and work. But to have that experience from the federal government, the federal government offers a lot of training. They have a lot of developmental programs. A lot of programs start at uh, the, the five grade level for entry-level positions, but it could go all the way up to a thir- GS-13, mm-hmm. which means every year you have the opportunity to get promoted to the next grade level. And I'll tell you one in particular is contract specialists. The government agencies can't keep contract specialists. So they have a developmental entry-level program that they have that's a five, uh, five, seven, nine, eleven. And what that just means is that each year you have the opportunity based on your performance to be promoted to the next grade level mm-hmm. so that you can receive that salary increase. They do the same thing in Title 12, working for um, commerce working with the banking industry, because they go through such extensive educational programs, they can automatically, just because they go back to school to get their master's, they can actually qualify and get a GS-7 after working there for a year to two years. And their salary just continues to increase. And and of course, you know, we could be here, we could be here all night, which we can't do that. But uh, the, the education, but going higher, if you're going for a PhD, there are also, uh, there are also ways uh, that a combination of education and experience can be used for the, for the higher grades. And it's, mm-hmm. some of them have a very complicated uh, system of uh, it has to be a computed percentage of requirements uh, going up to 100%. But uh, in 100 words or less, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, that if you have either a PhD or you have studied leading to a doctoral degree, uh, how that or an, LL, or an LLM uh, to, go into bills, yep. to go into bills field, if related? Yeah. What's, what's the story? There? Yeah. I, I would just say, you know, if you have a PhD or the equivalent doctoral degree, or at least three years of that progressively higher education uh, leading to your LLM, it's, it's an opportunity for you to apply for any of those positions that are at the GS level, uh, GS 11 grade level. And, you know, again, you would have to provide your transcript in order to be considered for those opportunities. But it's a great way again, to get into some of those developmental programs. Uh, One in particular is the Presidential Fellows Program, where uh, individuals who are going to school can enter into those programs. So there's more information on opm.gov in regards to the pathways, and that all aligns to the pathways program for internships. But something Mr. Solomon said that is so key, if there's a particular position or agency that you are interested in, I would ask you to reach out to that agency for volunteer opportunities, simply because they do have them. Uh, They also have opportunities for you to be mentored and coached by someone in a career field that you're interested in. And it's really a way for you to get to know that agency and for the agency to get to know you. And you just never know. Nine times out of 10, it works itself out for you to gain an employment opportunity from it. That's very interesting. How, who do you reach out to or how do you reach out to somebody uh, to, to, get, to get volunteer experience? Who do you reach out to there? They always have their HR contact number listed on, on, on the website. So again, just Google whichever agency you're interested in okay. and call the HR person as the point of contact. Okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. There's uh, always an email or phone number listed. 
couple, just a couple of more things before we sign off. And uh, one of them is uh, the federal system is kind of unique in that uh, once you, if you are, if you do get a higher offer, the federal system is kind of unique in the public sector is that you can negotiate for pay. Uh, where I come from in the state and the city in New York, you did not negotiate for pay. You just started when they, at the rate they said you were going to start at. <laughs> and, you had a, and, you, and you did have an automatic step increase. Of course, you had to have a, a good performance evaluation in order to do that. But you could not negotiate. Here you can. So the question is, how do you negotiate for the best uh, pay? Well, Tom, I, you know, I think I'm going to have to hire you as an HR specialist because uh, there you, you go, Bill. You're a negotiate. witness. Please write this down. <laughs> I am. have an affidavit you now. Always, <laughs> you I do have one. I have okay. one other question. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let her answer this one. She's about to hire me. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Bill's Maybe. not going to be a reference. Let me. Let me say this, Bill. Uh, you can always negotiate your pay. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it, but you have to prove your superior qualifications for the position. And what that means is that you would need to request an advance and hire. And you know, it could be you're in a position where you make twenty thousand dollars more, and you're accepting a position where you're they're trying to start you out at the GS one um, at, at the Step one, Step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, which will cause you to have that uh, loss of income. And what you could do is that you could just show them how, you know, th- that would cause hardship, uh, an undue hardship to you. And because of that, yeah, they may give you that additional salary or bump you up to the next step or two steps down the road. But again, keep in mind, when you do that, when you move beyond your steps, you need to understand when you can expect your next, next right. pay increase. Right. Not right. only that, there are other things that you can do to negotiate, such as uh, annual leave credit. You can, for uh, non-federal work experience, so you could request to have more annual leave than starting out at four hours per pay period versus the six or the eight hours per pay period that you could get if you were to get the annual leave credit for your work experience. So keep in mind, from year one through year three, you only earn four hours per pay period for annual leave. From year four, starting at year three, up until year 15, you earn six hours per pay period. Beyond 15 years, you can actually earn eight hours per pay period. So again, that's another uh, negotiation tool. The federal government has civilian fitness programs where you can get three hours per pay period to to be able to work out at at any gym that you prefer. It just means that you're leaving work three days early each week to go and work out. There's um, there's also student loan repayment programs and the opportunity to telework versus virtual and remote work. So those are things that you can negotiate because telework is something totally different than being virtual. Yeah. Yeah. Telework means that you're coming into the office two to three days a week versus virtual means that you're 100% remote. Is it two days? You can work anywhere. Is it two days a week or is it it two days a month? Well, it's whatever the policy calls for based upon that agency. Typically it is two days per pay period. Right. So that's two weeks. Yeah. Because two days per pay period. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And 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 that, and that's very and that's very important because now there's also mm-hmm. in addition to that some agencies have an actual location requirement where you have to live within 40 miles or a certain amount of miles of the job. 
See, this is why she's that's going to... That, that's that area of consideration. This that's is that why local she, commuting area. Right. This is why she's going to hire me, because I know all about this now. But uh, one agency <laughs> told me 160 miles. Another agency told me 40 miles. It all depends upon the agency. And some don't have that at all. But the best one for a virtual job is where they call location negotiable after selection. If you see something like that, that means that you can work virtually from any area of the country. And that is Mm -hmm. the best deal. It's also called maximum telework. That's another thing. But uh, Mm -hmm. then there's something called situational telework, where, again, you can telework, but you have to move to uh, the area of consideration. And that's called situational telework. So there's all these wonderful words. Uh, all these wonderful terms of art, <laughs> as they would say from the legal standpoint, in terms of in terms of the types of. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that it, especially because of COVID, virtual is now something to look at, whereas before they didn't do it at all. So now virtual is something to look at. Now telework is something to look at. And technically, because a pay period ends on a Saturday, you could come in on a Thursday and Friday. Uh, to work, then work Monday and Tuesday, and then you can work the rest of it. But that, of course, is if your boss, your prospective boss agrees to it. Uh, am I, am I on base there? Or am I basically? Uh... You're, you're, you're right on target, right on target. Okay. So that is, so that I think is, is very important. Um, so we have now come to the, uh, to the, just about to the oh. end. Oh, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Bill had a question. Well, he's, you started answering it, and Tom got into more of the semantics. Um, is there a way to easily differentiate the jobs or sort them? If you were looking, let's say, for uh, virtual or telework only instead of going through everything. Yes, yes. On USA Jobs, there's a search bar the minute you go to the website, and you can just type in virtual or remote. And those jobs will automatically populate. Now, you can also put in the city and state so that if you wanted to look for a particular job or agency, you can do that as well. But that search bar is there. And you can, there's also a filter where you can filter down all of that information. And then when you If you only wanted to look at certain grade levels, you could do that too, certain grade levels or certain job series. Mm-hmm. And then the tendency with that is you overfilter and you end up with zero jobs available. <laughs> that can happen. That can happen. And that happened to me. Yeah. That happened exactly. to me. I wanted... Yeah, but then you go from there, you know, because like if I live, I live in Miami, I want to stay in Miami. I don't want to move somewhere right. else. Right. Exactly. You know? But you, and that's you know, what I try to tell people to search for agencies. If you live in a particular agency, if you live in a particular area and you know the agencies that are in your area, look for those agencies because you will see more of the positions in your area for those particular agencies. It'll save you some time. I also want to stress that uh, if you have a choice of putting in your resume or do something called Resume Builder, which is on USA Jobs, where it's a very, very easy tool where you just put in all the information and you can use Resume Builder as an option. It's, I think it's better to do that because if you put in your resume and you, by some uh, unfortunate circumstance, leave the tracking mechanisms on, uh, now, although they are not supposed to, now although they are not supposed to 
look at a resume where you have tracking changes and make a judgment on it, well, guess what? You're much better off, I, this is my particular opinion, using the, using the career builder option. So that leaves nothing to, to chance and you can always edit it. It's a great tool. I really think it's a great tool. What do you think, Flora? I, I'm I'm glad you like it, Tom. <laughs> I I wasn't a fan of the of the resume builder because I like to edit my resume and upload it and save it as uh, you can save five different resumes in there. Yes, so I would yes. have a resume for HR. I would have a resume for classification. I would have a resume for program management, administrative yes, officer. So I could title it whatever I wanted to, so that I knew. Whenever I was going in to apply for different positions, which job, which resume I wanted to use for that particular job. But I'm glad you like the, the resume builder. Uh, some agencies require you to create the resume builder. So my, my vote is to have both. That's a good point. Because That's you never good, know when you're going to need it. Very good point. Because mm -hmm. you can Let's, always add to either one. Let's end this by talking about the marvelous benefits that uh, federal service offers, and you've touched upon some of those. And uh, I remember a time when the feds did not, the feds benefits were not the way they are today. And I think what changed <laughs> that, my understanding, and this is scuttlebutt, is the FBI, uh, the, they, they couldn't get enough special agents because this, these were dangerous positions and they were putting their lives on the line and the pay wasn't good, the benefits weren't good, and they weren't. So finally, the... I don't know whether it was the unions that kicked, it must have been the union that kicked in. And uh, finally, a change was made and jobs were made more attractive for the FBI. And once that happened, that was the turning point, the Sentinel event, uh, where other agencies kind of took over. So now, mm -hmm. of the three, federal, state, and city, the federal is the best. Uh, in terms of in terms of money, in terms of benefits, and let's talk about that before we sign off. Laura. What uh, can you give us an yeah. overview? I I would have to agree. I think the federal government has excellent benefits. Uh, we do have a retirement plan, and the health insurance is great. Uh, there's also group life insurance, long term care insurance, which recently only came back. I want to say back in 2012. And so, you know, that is an opportunity for many federal employees to have that long-term care should something happen. Uh, but we also have that, you know, the, the traditional health insurance and, and benefits such as flexible spending and survivor benefits. I think one of the, the greatest benefits that the federal government is kicking in now is the student loan repayment program. Someone like myself who has her doctorate and has student loans, it's great to have an organization that will pay about up to $10,000 per year for five to six years. So that's $60,000 off the top of my education. That, like a scholarship? That my agency, it's like a scholarship thing or do they forgive you? It, no, it's every year they make a contribution of $10,000 towards your student loan repayment. It's like a scholarship in a way. Yeah, yeah, wow. wow. So, yeah, if you want to call it that, it's fine by me, but uh, okay. I'm happy to receive that scholarship fund. I, absolutely. <laughs> it does, it, well, who cares what it's you know, called it, as long as you get it? I, I agree with you. Yeah, agree. absolutely. It, it really does. It makes a difference. But we also have... Uh, you know, there's also a, a variety of training programs and certification programs that the federal government will, will pay for as well. One in case in point, 
being a member of the Society for Human Resource Management, you know, we pay for the SHRM certification, uh, pay for the SHRM testing, all of the books and fees associated with it. So it's, it's great to be able to have that additional added bonus. And like I said, the civilian fitness program, that really makes a difference to many of us because it gives us an opportunity to work out, to stay healthy, and to, to be able to have that added time built into our work schedule to do that. Many, many federal agencies have gyms there, but you can choose to go to your home gym or to any gym that you decide to join and have that hour of fitness. So it's, it's really great. And like you said, Tom, telework is now the new, it's, the new, it's the new big thing. It's for the new yeah, it's, it's the new yeah. normal for us. And yeah, many yeah. federal agencies yeah. are going to a remote assignment or a virtual workforce. And uh, especially for those positions that were geared more administrative, simply because they don't, they have proven during COVID that they don't necessarily have to be in the building to accomplish their work. Absolutely. And the thrift spending plan, and that's another thing that should be mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's our retirement program. And and it is it is very very good in terms of now it, it, this is it's beyond the scope to talk about the fact that there used to be uh, a, a federal retirement system for older employees and then they switched to I think the FERS which is the current uh, federal right. employees retirement system and uh, because it, one involves social security you couldn't get social security benefits now you can get social security benefits it's different mm-hmm. but what I wanted to bring out about the TSP. Uh, or the thrift savings plan is the fact that you have your choice of conservative versus uh, versus risk funds. So if you're if, so under particular schedules, so if you're risk averse, you can consume, you can choose a conservative plan in terms of spe- in terms of what in terms of saving. If you're more into risk, you can do it that way. So it's a and it's and it's a very very good plan. Uh, with, you know, I, and, and I have to be in it, so I know. So uh, can you yeah. elaborate on that? Uh, and then we can. No, I, I, I can't because I don't, I'm not an advisor, financial advisor. So I like to tell people to reach out to their financial advisor to get their advice about that's their why she's a, That's why she's a 15 and I'm still trying to get a job. Uh, yeah. but, but, but anyway. I don't want anyone coming back saying. <laughs> Flora, I want to thank you so much. Do you have anything further you wanted to add? I hope this was helpful. I am more than happy to help anyone. I'm happy that we are having this conversation because many people don't know how to navigate in the federal sector. And trust me, it took me a long time too. And I want everyone to know, I think I applied for over a hundred positions before I was ever chosen for my first federal job. So, you know, be encouraged that it does take time. Uh, there are a lot of people out there looking, but as long as you continue to apply, that opportunity will present itself. So just always be ready. She's absolutely right, because I have two interviews scheduled this week. And before she came along, I was like scratching my head as well as other as well as other uh, unmentionable areas. But no, but seriously, uh I, 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 I agree with her wholeheartedly. You just got to apply for jobs every day and forget about it. And then they'll close and you'll, you'll know one way or another. And maybe a month later, you'll hear, oh, my God, you know, I didn't even realize. Uh, mm-hmm. they've, 
Well, uh, in, in any event, Flora, thank you so much. Bill, do you have anything further to add? Only that I've, I've learned a lot. Um, I've took copious notes. Well, um, I'm glad to hear that. At the next yeah. board meeting, then, Bill is going to give the presentation. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> they'll love me for that. But, <laughs> they will. Yeah, but, but it's important um, to understand the levels and to be able to sort through it all. And that's really what you explained. And, and that's important, not only, like, if I decided to go do something, or students mm-hmm. of ours um, that are in the mm-hmm. field and want to go further, this is an opportunity for them to know where to search. And that, that's really the key. Um, I know yep, ASPA, nationally, ASPA nationally uh, was touting USA um, jobs at conferences because they had mm-hmm. an affiliation with the federal government and they do that on a regular basis. So that's where I first heard about it but I haven't utilized it. Maybe I'll just do it mm-hmm. for the heck of it. It's a fantastic Absolutely. It's, it. it's a fantastic database. It really is. Thank you so much both for uh, your attendance tonight. This is one of our longer ones, but I think it was worth it because we had to cover a lot of ground here. Federal jobs are complex. They are, it is meandering through a labor and a thing maze. Uh, But instead of the minotaur at the end of the maze, I think people who are are able to to go through it successfully find a pot of gold. And, And I think it's really, really important also in terms of the public service uh, motivation, PSM, which is very, very important. There are people in federal service, especially in the military, who have ethical and public service motivations. Flora is an excellent example of somebody who, is, uh, who has uh, contributed the highest standards. And I have worked with her as a collaborator, and I can tell you that uh, her, uh, and you know, without blowing her horn too much and uh, getting her embarrassed, that uh, if, if they were all like her in federal service, I think things would be uh, very, very, uh, very, very, very good. And that's, and I'm going to stop there and, and, you know, until I start blushing and, uh, and, and so <laughs> forth. And I'll, I'll hand, I'll, yeah, I'll hand you the violin too. Thank you to everybody. Flora, say good night to everybody. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Bill, say good night to everybody. Thank you very much. That was really informative. And Izzy came back saying, what the hell are we on there for so long? Well, Izzy, you missed a hell of a presentation uh, in terms of the ins and outs of federal job service. Izzy will probably wind up getting a job once he hears all this. Izzy, anything you want to say that you haven't said already? Just a, a heartwarming thank you to Flora for all of the information you provided. I Though I may have missed it, here live, I know I'll have a chance to hear it on the podcast. So I am looking forward to it and I'm sure it was of value. So good luck to you. And hopefully one day we can all circle back and meet in person at one of our events down here in Miami. Yeah, come on down. I look forward to it. Absolutely. (laughs) I sure will. Yeah. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to everybody. (laughs) Uh, And I'm in Del Rey. So, you know, don't give a short trip to Del Rey Beach and Boca. Thank you, Flora. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening in tonight. We all hope you've gained some valuable experience and expertise in terms of navigating federal jobs. Good night to everybody from ASPA, South Florida. Take care now.